Good morning. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jeff Nine. Um, I'm one of the pastors at uh, a, a partner church of Sacred Mission Frontline Church in Oklahoma City. Um, I get to uh, lead our efforts in church planting and church strengthening. I've been here a couple times, so I've, I know I've met some of you. I haven't met all of you. Um, I want to say just quickly on behalf of Frontline, we love you. We pray for you regularly. Um, we had um, friends and pastors um, driving over to Fayetteville. Um, we've got Steve Curry here with me this morning. We've got Madison uh, back with us this morning. Um, and the, if you're if you're not familiar with it, frontline uh, that that the uh, Tim and Patty were uh, a part of our frontline uh, community and and felt this call to come and start this church and we have just said we're behind you we want to support you and encourage you and I just want to say that doesn't end that what we actually believe is that as churches we should be interconnected and in 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 relationship partnership together. Um, that we have that with lots of churches uh, in other places so that when we're facing challenges, we've got friends around us that can walk with us. And I want to say that's what we want this relationship to look like as well. So we're here just to love and support um, and, and help in any way we, we can. Uh, but I want you to know that you have uh, a bunch of people in Oklahoma that are praying for you and standing with you and love you. Um, I want to speak too, just real briefly before we step into... Um, God's word on, on I think how we need to pray in moments like this. Steve is going to lead us through a prayer movement here in a little bit. It, it's, t- it's tough because uh, we feel the pain and the grief and the suffering of this current moment and yet we also have a God who empties out tombs and ruins funerals. Don't we? We have a God who does the things that we cannot imagine and boggles the mind and imagination and, and it and at times, that's his answer to our request, and sometimes it's not. But I think what the, what I, what I think what the Bible invites us to is to actually pray bold prayers to a good father, not prayers of demand, but also not prayers of concession. Not just whatever you will. Like I, I understand the sentiment in that, but there's also a part where I think the, the Bible invites us to actually ask our good father for what we what we desire. And if you're a parent, sometimes your kids ask that and sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't. And we have to trust the hand of our good father. But I want us to keep praying with bold prayers, asking God to heal Patty. And so we're going to continue to do that. And we're going to, we're going to receive from his hand what he gives us and we're going to rest in his mercy, but we're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to pray. We're going to do that in here in just a little bit. So I want to start by praying and before we jump into God's word. First, God, would you heal Patty? We know that statistics don't get the last word. And we don't pray this out of demand. We pray this out of out of a faith and a hope in our good God. God, I pray that your presence would be felt in, with Tim, with Hannah, with Silas, with Grace, with the broader family, with us in this room this morning. God, of all mercies, be merciful to us. 
And we say, teach us how to walk in faith in moments like this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know you guys are in the middle of Genesis. Um, and we'll probably pick that up at some point down the road. But here's, as, as I was praying and preparing and driving up yesterday from Oklahoma, I, I felt... I felt the Lord inviting us as a people, us as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, not to, to this morning look at a, a theology of suffering, of pain, of these kinds of things, but rather to look at the posture that the, the Bible calls us to have in moments like this. What's the posture of our hearts? What's the posture of our minds? What's the, the posture that we bring as humans to moments like this when we don't know what's happening and we don't under stand. But if you're like me, and by that I mean if you're human, there are questions. Questions running through our minds, questions running through our hearts, questions that we ask ourselves in quiet moments, knowing probably we're not going to get an answer, but those questions seem to roll. We start with questions of like what, what's going on, what caused this, what, what could I have done, what what, what, only to find that at the end of that, rarely is there an answer. We ask questions of why. Why is this happening? Why did God allow this? Why doesn't God do what I want him to do? Why are we here? We ask questions of how. How can we fix this? How can we handle this? How can we make it through? How can we prevent And I want to say this, that the reason that I know that you ask these questions as humans is because humans throughout history have asked these, and the Bible records often people in moments like this asking questions and rarely getting the answers they want. The question is, why do we ask these questions? I, I think part of the reason is that we think if I can get an answer, I've got a grip on the situation or a grip on reality or a grip on my own soul when I seem to be being pushed left and right by the winds of the moment. We can go throughout the text of how many times Abraham and Job and David and the Jeremiah asked God these questions and God in his mercy did not give them the answers they were wanting. He gave them something better. The reality is that there actually is one question that the that the, that the scriptures regularly call us to pray that also doesn't get an answer that I think we want to, I want to turn our attention to this morning. And while we may ask a lot of how questions, there is a question in the biblical text that regularly we're brought back to, and that is this question, how long, O Lord? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. You see, these questions aren't always wrong and aren't always bad. It's the presumption that we're going to get an answer. 
That sometimes takes our heart away from a posture of faith in a moment like this towards a, uh, towards a, a posture of control or a, a, a posture of despair. And as this morning as we were praying, uh, Josh said something I, I found just really profound and a, and a good remem- rem- reminder for us this morning is often in the moments of those questions, the enemy wants to whisper lies in our ears in the form of answers to our questions to bring accusation to bring despair, to bring division. But this here is a question that the Bible asks us to answer, teach, or to, uh, ask us to ask. It teaches us to ask. And yet it also, there's, there's no answer at the end of it, but there is something beautiful that we find in this question, I think. Let's look at Psalm 13. How long, O Lord... Now remember, this is David. This is the king of Israel at the moment. This is the one that God picked to, to lead Israel. The one that he chose. The one that he loved. The one that he, he cared for. And yet this David writes to God, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long? He says in verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift or Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, in asking this question, David doesn't get an answer to the how long, O Lord. The Lord doesn't go, oh, oh, by the way, David, let me, I forgot you didn't get the memo. It's going to happen in da 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 day. He doesn't answer the question like that. He doesn't tell them. He doesn't tell David when. He doesn't answer the how long. But there is something beautiful in this question because, listen, what it does is it acknowledges that there's a deep longing in our soul for redemption. It acknowledges the longing in our soul for redemption. I think this question also recognizes that God is in control of the situation. There's a way of praying this that we're not saying, uh, we're not asking uh, simply to get data and response. We're actually, the request is a trusting that God handles it, that God is in control. The form of this question sees God as a father who listens to them, who hears them. And it's a question that leans towards future hope. You see, because this question actually has with it a, 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 a posturing of the heart to trust God to actually be the one who answers the question. How long, O oh Lord? is not a question simply searching for data. It's a posture of a heart trusting in their God. But there is one question that we can ask in moments like this that we do get an answer to. 
We may want the answers to the what and the whys and the hows. We may want an answer to the how long, O Lord. But what we end up, there is another question that actually has an answer. And that question is who? Who holds the universe? Who holds this situation? Who holds me? That question has an answer. You see, if we look at the Gospel of John, and, and, I, and I would love to go through each one of these, but we don't have time to sit in each of these passages, but throughout the Gospel of John, uh, the, John wants us to know who Jesus is. That's what he says at the end of the book, that I wrote these things that you might know him and who he is. And in the Gospel of John are these I am statements from Jesus' own mouth. I am, I am, I am. In chapter 6, verse 51, he says, I am the bread of life. And when we ask who is the bread of life, we say he is, Jesus is. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, the one who sustains you, the one who feeds you. In chapter 8, verse 12, he says he is the light of the world. In moments of profound darkness, in moments of profound despair, he is the light of the whole world. He's the light that we need. In chapters 10, verse 7, he says, He's the door. He is the way to the Father. Later on in that chapter, verse 11, he says, He's the good shepherd, the one who protects the flock and cares for the sheep. He's the one that cares for us and provides for us and protects us. In chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you don't know the context, this happens moments before he raises Lazarus out of Lazarus out of a tomb. If anyone was too far, it was Lazarus. And yet Jesus walks up to the tomb and empties it with the words, I am the resurrection and the life. But listen, that truth, that I am the resurrection and the life, was true both when Lazarus was raised out of that tomb and when he died years later. But he is the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And in chapter 15, verse 1, he calls himself the vine that we are branches off of. In other words, he is our life source. He is the source of all life. So the question of this, of who are we dealing with, who can carry us, the answer is Jesus. He is, he is these things. But there's, there's a profound reminder also in chapter 8, verse 58, in which Jesus is being confronted by some religious leaders who were accusing him of all kinds of things. And Jesus said to them, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you're not sure what that means, in Exodus 3, in Exodus 3, Moses is, has been called by God to go back to Israel, or to go back to Egypt and to lead the Israelites out of their captivity, out of their imprisonment, out of, their, uh, out, out of the place that they would die if left alone in Egypt. He is to lead Israel out. And, Abraham, or, and Moses is like, well, who do I tell them sent me? Because I can't just go, 
there was a fire, guys. And the fire told me to say this. They're going to think I'm crazy. Who do I tell them sent me? And the response is, God to Moses says, tell them that I am has sent you. So let's not move past this too quickly. Let's not move past this too quickly. Because what Jesus is saying is what many of us have heard uh, for, for much of our life, or if you're new to the Christian faith, maybe this is a, a, a new thing, but for many in the room, we've heard this for a long time, and sometimes we can we not actually catch how profound this is, that Jesus, in all these I am statements, there's one other I am statement that, that, that covers them all, and that is simply Jesus saying, I am. I'm the one that delivered Israel out of Egypt. I'm the one that created the universe. I'm the one that fed Israel in the wilderness. I am the one who protected Israel from its enemies. I am the one who has purified my bride in this nation. I am. See, Jesus is not merely some prophet with some good ideas about who God is. He is God incarnate, God himself in the flesh. So I may not get answers to my questions of what, why, and how. But I have an answer to the question of who, and that's what I need in moments like this. It doesn't take away the pain, does it? It doesn't take away the fear. It doesn't take away the, the questions of, of how do we navigate through this, or through this situation. But what we recognize is that God himself is not somewhere far off, distant from us, but by Christ's Spirit is with us right now. He's telling us that he is aware, he is merciful, and he is here. There's one other thing I want us to look at before we move into, move into this time of prayer. You see, Jesus didn't just teach us how to navigate through suffering by giving us words or giving us instructions, but he actually taught us how to suffer by showing us, by actually suffering himself. The, the one who created the universe, the one who hung the stars in the sky, the one who breathed life into humanity. That God was rejected, beaten, abandoned, and killed. He would have prayed to his father, how long? You see, the, the God who is with us is the God who himself has suffered. He's the one that watched loved ones be buried. He's the one that was in despair. I want to look at one last one, one last I am statement. If you would learn to turn to Revelation chapter one. You see, because after this, God suffered. 
and this God who could have kept himself from going to the cross had he chose. Went to the cross in order to take our sin and leave it there, to nail it there, to pay the price that we deserved. And then he didn't stay dead. He was raised to life by the Father, and he is alive today. And the same one that wrote those I am statements of John about Jesus writes this in Revelation 1. The Apostle John says in verse 17, when I saw him, see, John was left on an island by himself to be, was, had been banished to this island as punishment for not refusing, or for, for uh, not um, rejecting Jesus. And Jesus appears to him. And in verse 17 says, so when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand on me saying, fear not, listen to this, I am the first and the last and the living one. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And then listen to this I have the keys of death and Hades. I don't know how God's going to answer our prayers. I know he hears. I know he cares. I don't know how he's going to answer our prayers. But I know this. He has the keys to death and Hades. He has defeated death. Whatever happens, death doesn't get the last word. Despair doesn't get the last word. Hopelessness doesn't get the last word. Pain doesn't get the last word. Disease doesn't get the last word. Rejection doesn't get the last word. Suffering doesn't get the last word. Fear doesn't get the last word. Jesus does. And I don't know what he's going to do but I trust him. And what I'm asking us to do as a church is to trust him. Because we have an answer to the question, who, I think we have a greater foundation from which to actually pray the how long, O Lord. Because we're taught to pray that in light of the fact that Jesus has the last word. So as we are praying and as we are moving forward as a church, I want us to place our hope in the, the one who is the answer to the who. And I want us to with him pray, how long, O Lord? Because that question is bigger than this particular situation with Patty. It's bigger than any particular situation you're facing in your life right now. It's bigger than any situation you have walked through or will walk through. Because if, if, if you haven't suffered yet, you're going to suffer in the future. And more than likely, looking in this room, we've done both. We're going to walk through other times of grief and pain. 
And actually out of a posture of hope and a belief in who he is, we can say, how long, O Lord? Not as, a, not as a question of demand for an answer, but as a question that postures our heart to trust him. Would you pray with me? Father, we say, how long? How long, O Lord? And we pray this, though, with faith. At least the faith we can muster. So I pray for myself. I pray for my friends. I pray for the the Kimberleys. Would you teach us how to trust you right now? Would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to hope? Would you teach us how to wait? And God of all mercies, be merciful to us. I pray in Jesus' name.